Hello, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of Let's Odd. Oh. I am one of your hosts. I am Jean A. Townsend. And with me is Christopher Chavez. Chavez. Or as our friends over on You Break It, You Pot It podcast like to call me, Chris Chazay. Ooh, either one of those sounds like a really fancy, uh, like, uh, uh, perfume. <laughs> well, I think the Chazé part comes from like the Backstreet Boys or NSYNC. One of their last names was Chazé or something like that. Oh, really? So they threw it out Just there that way. Name. And if you listen to their episodes, once uh, a lot of times at the end of the show, you know they'll they'll promo the site, this and that, and they'll they'll kind of shout me out as the producer on the show. And it's always Chris Chazé. Chris Chazé, I like it. <laughs> I like it. So we're shouting yes, them out on this on this show now. That's how you so, do it, uh, man. We're paying it back. Andrew Lopel and Zeke Mizmiz. <laughs> that sounds like perfect uh, speaking. I, I can't tell any. That's how I would pronounce those words for sure. Hundred percent. How's it going, dude? How are you, man? I am doing quite well. Chris, are you doing good? I'm glad to be in the Creeper Clubhouse, man. Same here. It always helps me uh, have a better day when I'm in the Creeper. House of Clubs. Sharing stare, scary, creepy stories or odd stories is my favorite thing to do. Oh, yes, for sure. Same here. Uh, so today we actually have our That's Odd Today. So um, last year we did a lot of themed episodes. And so far for the year, we've done a lot where we did the old school thing. We each brought our own story. This year, this, uh, this episode is going to be a themed one. And it's only because I found out what you were doing ahead of time. And I thought to myself, ooh. Let me see if I can find anything cool along those lines. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like it. And that's one, exactly what I I've did. Been, yeah, I've been meaning to do the one that I was going that I'm doing today for a while. Oh, nice. Before I decided, I don't know why I keep putting it off. Let's just do it. Exactly. So. And it, and it you know it prompted me to look this one up, and I found out some really cool stuff that I didn't know. Um, and there's one something that wasn't mentioned that I did know. So I'll try to see if I can't remember to mention it. But before we do that, I wanted to get into what we start doing now on that side. Kind of pulled a little thing from History Creeps where we do current creeps and look for headlines or, or things happening in the news that are pretty creepy. Uh, but for that side, we want to look for more odd headlines and things that are happening in the world that seem a little more odd. Um, Johnny, I know you didn't have one today. This one, it's not super odd. I mean, it is kind of odd to me, but I kind of wanted to hear what you thought about this. Okay. Uh, this is the headline coming from MSN.com. Uh, Chi, and that's spelled X-I, okay? Chi right. Cult app is China's red-hot hit. A propag- oh, okay. Here we go. A propaganda app that puts China's powerful President Xi Jinping in anyone's pocket has become a hit in the country with a helpful nudge from the Communist Party officials. Millions have downloaded the app, which tracks the amount of times users spend browsing inspirational quotes from the Chinese leader and watching short videos of his speeches and travels. People are rewarded with points for sharing articles or answering quizics quizzes on communist heroes and one day they may be able to redeem their scores for gifts such as pastries and tablets but it's not all fun and games some people say they felt pressured to download it others hope it can help their careers and local government officials have been heavily promoting it the app's name i'm not even going to try to say it in chinese uh is translated to study to make china strong it's a pun as the Chinese word for studying, again, I'm not going to try to say that, can also be read as study Xi. 
Uh, it's been downloaded nearly 44 million times on Apple and Android devices since its launch in January, according to the Beijing-based statistics provider Kimai Technology. Quote, it's a perfect example of propaganda in the Qi era that appeals to China's large online population. Manye Kos, who tracks social trends in China as editor of What's on Weibo, says uh, the party will go wherever the people are. So here's the deal with the Qi cult. Qi, who could rule. And here's the thing about this guy. Also, listen to this. Qi, who could rule indefinitely after parliament lifted the presidential term limits last year. Has enjoyed, oh, a, yeah, yeah, right. has enjoyed a level of officially stoked adulation unseen since communist China's founder, Mao. The party's propaganda arm has become tech-savvy in its battle for the country's hearts and minds, delivering its messages through rap songs, comics, and stickers on popular messaging web app WeChat. Have you heard of WeChat, or is this a, uh, just a China thing? I've never heard of this, WeChat. I've never heard of it. Okay, which made me think... Uh, like how foreign is that to think of no pun intended that different countries might have their own social media the way we have facebook and instagram and twitter yes those are there are versions of that in these countries but they might have their own completely you know different social media we've never heard of before it makes sense uh it says here last may it launched another free app called learn about china featuring chi's first book along with academic papers analyzing his views uh, the new app gives users access to thousands of books, magazines, newspapers, university publications, and TV serials and movies. Users must res- register with their mobile phone number and name their employer. An employee at a state media company said she posts her score on her WeChat social media account because she is in line for a promotion and hopes her bosses will see that she has, quote, the, mi- the right mindset. She says, quote, it's a way to get some brownie points. One state worker said she felt under pressure to use the app, although it's not officially mandatory for civil servants. A doctor at a state hospital in Beijing who only gave her last name said she had her parents use the app to take quizzes and read articles on her behalf. She said, quote, our scores are valid for two years. I'm not sure whether they'll be useful for my career or later. Isn't this crazy, dude? What are your thoughts on this, that there's a that the leader of a nation has an app in which he just posts nothing but his thoughts and propaganda and makes it all what feels like mandatory to download and follow and and interact with share the stories you know basically take these quizzes and 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 it's 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 literally brainwashing people yeah it's all right from for them for the uh, for the president of that country it's a smart direction to go because, uh, you know, before you would just kind of force the newspapers to write good things about you or whatever. Yeah. But now really not many people read newspapers anymore. No, I you mean, just print, pay for an app now. Yeah, print is going away. So what do you do? You go to the next thing, which is cell phones. Everybody pretty much has one. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of scary in a way, and if I was over there and I was, uh, you know, I would feel kind of pressured too, yeah, to have it. But man, it's okay. Say it's you're kind not, of a smart move. Yeah, say you're not over there. Okay, say you're here, and in this country, it becomes a thing. Let's say Trump puts out an app, or whatever president that comes after put, puts an app out that says, you know, 
if as long as you're downloading this and you're getting points and you're doing this, it's going to it's going to make you at a certain level overall in our entire country where you'll get better job, better pay, better things. It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. The biggest most downloaded app in Apple history (laughs) ever, ever. Uh, But like, you know what I'm saying? So listen, here's a little other piece on this. So it says that dozens of provincial and county governments across the country have held workshops to promote the app in recent weeks. Um, It says it's uh, my quote. This is somebody that wrote this quote. uh, My employer wants us to learn enough to get 35 credits every day. So we have no choice but to carry our children with one hand and our phones with the other and chase points with no life. And this is why they want these people to name their employers (sighs) because the employers are being monitored now to continue to push this propaganda. Real quick, I will say that woman who said that. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and assume, and and I don't know her obviously, but from what (laughs) I've seen, that's like her complaining about that. She would be doing that even if the app didn't exist. (laughs) She's like, this Candy Crush game forces me to play it all day with a child in my hand and basically have no life. She's she's more upset that what she's looking at on her phone, which she would be looking at anyway, is more is mandatory. Yeah, I think (laughs) that's the case. They say it's not mandatory, but you know, it's kind of a wink wink mandatory. Well, bro, listen, if they're making you if they're making you name your employer now that employer has right. to answer to the government the government's saying exactly Look, all of these people said they're they're signed up you better make sure they're getting this many points or else we're coming for you yeah that's yeah crazy. i mean it makes sense like it's I, it, it wouldn't work here <laughs> well you'd be because, surprised right <laughs> no no what i'm saying is i don't think it would work here because there's so many people who are for, are going to just call it out saying this is just another way for you to track me you yeah, know. yeah. Well, obviously, Jesse Ventura was right. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, that's the case, right? How crazy, yeah. dude! I mean, it's obviously what they're doing there, right? Obviously, uh, if you get them on the phone using the app with your face on it, it's a lot easier to track those people. True. And uh, I guarantee they got things in there so they can see like what other websites they're going. I'm to telling you right now, it would not surprise me if our own government didn't know exactly where all of us were through our mobile phones. Oh, they already do. You know that. They're already tracking us direct garbage. It's going to be on the new episode of X-Files 2.0. Yeah. And I love I love to be the person who's tracking my stuff and how bored they must be. <laughs> he just keeps walking around his room all day, every day. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> how many times is he going to look at Ninja Turtle toys? <laughs> <laughs> he keeps going to the same Pop, Pop Funko shop in, in his town yeah. <laughs> over and over. I don't get it. <laughs> Oh, wait, wait, wait. He's going to Hickory. Oh, it's Hickory Con time. Yep. Never mind. Yep. <laughs> yeah, dude. I would so be boring. I saw that 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 headline and I thought, I mean, I thought, first of all, it's perfect for odd. But if you start to really think about it and delve deep into the story, it becomes more creepy. And then the scarier yeah. part is, is we might start, that might be a current creep in the near future in which we're talking about. That's what we're having to do. Yeah. The uh, potential's man. there, dude. The potential is there. I mean, you can never say never with anything. Yeah, it's true. Uh, but, you know, I would highly doubt it would happen over here. Bro, just think about all the know. things we've witnessed in the past few years, and you always think, there's no way. And it just is. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's almost yeah. like, I've, I keep saying we're in an alternate timeline, dude. So many crazy things. Yeah, this is Earth 2. I think when whatever. David Bowie died, everything just kind of shifted. 
It might have been. Oh, was that, is that what you're using as your <laughs> that's cutoff? The, that's my point. That's my what's my flashpoint, right? Yeah. What a space oddity, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to that side for today. So we have a themed episode. Uh, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Do you want to tell the people what the theme is? I can go first. Okay. Uh, so uh, I, I guess our theme would be uh, pop culture predictions, right? Ooh, I like that. Pop culture predictions. Yeah, and by that I mean uh, things in pop culture that have somehow some way predicted things that would happen. You know, on History Creeps, we we covered, uh, oh, what was the author's name? He did a lot of sci-fi novels. H.G. Wells. Thank you. Yeah, H.G. Wells. And in a lot of his novels, he predicted a lot of stuff that came true. Yeah. Or we also threw out the idea that what if it's because of his novels, it sparked the imagination to those people to make that come true. Right, exactly. But yes. the, I think in this level, what we're talking about is not that kind of thing. No, not at all. No. So, so when uh, speaking of the president, when our pres, when Donald Trump became president, one of the big things that began to circulate around was the fact that a show that's been around f- forever at this point predicted this. And what's even more kind of wild is that uh, they've predicted. A lot of what? things, Chris. Wild and crazy stuff. That show is a little show called The Simpsons. Insert Simpsons intro music here. Yes. Please don't sue us. <laughs> um, now, I got. I, I love animation. Yes, me too, dude. For at, at one point, I went to school to do animation. I really did. I learned how to... You know, draw one page at a time. I used to, I, I learned yeah. how to photograph it the old school way before you went to computer animation. Yeah, so Simpsons has basically been around since I was in elementary school. Yeah, it's been around forever. Same. I remember it was the reason I ever the first time I ever got in trouble. I prided myself on being such a goody two shoes <laughs> when I was in elementary school. The first time I ever got in trouble with an authority figure was because of the Simpsons. Oh, I had. I was very proud of this new folder I'd gotten. It just had Bart Simpson on it, and he said, "Eat my shorts." And apparently, uh, back in the day, this is when that show might have been two years old at the most. That was the, uh, I guess, the closest thing I can compare it catchphrase. to catchphrase. Yeah, well, that that was Bart Simpson's catchphrase, but it was also kind of a rude thing he would say. Oh yeah, that, like yeah. as a kid back then, you couldn't say stuff like that. It was it was like right. cursing almost. Yes. Yes. So like it's kind of like uh, see also I'm old enough to remember when uh, when uh, uh, South Park came out and that's yep, a whole here. other ball game. Same, but you know, but it was also another show that came out where if you had stuff on it with quotes on it and stuff like that, like you uh, you know you could get in trouble for it. Yeah, so two, <laughs> at, at my school. Yeah, two little pieces of, of fact here for you. December seventeenth of this year marks thirty years for The Simpsons. Yeah, is that not incredible? That is amazing. <laughs> Second fact, which is eerie, uh, which is basically a lot of what we're doing today. Eerie predictions, eerie coincidences. Uh, you want to know what's eerie, dude? I once got in trouble in the fifth grade for drawing Bart Simpson for another kid. Uh, the kid asked me to draw Bart Simpson. However, this Bart Simpson would be grabbing his crotch saying, eat my shorts. And <laughs> I did that. You know, and uh, yeah. the teacher saw me drawing it, and I got in some trouble for that. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks a lot, Bart. <laughs> so you and I both got in trouble for Eat My Shorts, bro. 
We did. That's crazy. <laughs> And you know how tame that is about today's standards. I know, dude. It's so it's such a funny thing to say. If there's like a young, yeah. a young person, a young person listening to this episode, they're just like, "Oh my god, those guys are ancient. What the hell's wrong with these guys?" I've played online games, and there'd be like a kid in on this you know, playing these games that's like eleven, and they've said way worse things to me than this. <laughs> things and I will things not about repeat. Your mom, things yes. about your dad. <laughs> yes, things about myself that I apparently didn't know. Uh, <laughs> Oh, so this amazing. is tamed by today's standards. But. All right, yeah. So I thought I'd I'd look into this. I look at what all has the Simpsons predicted. So I only want to go over a couple of these. Okay, sounds good. Uh, this is from the HollywoodReporter.com. Yeah, but you can find this all over the place. I literally I literally went through eight or nine different websites that all talked about this. So of course, let's start with the big one that everybody you know. This is the one that kind of started this this fun little rump here. That Donald Trump presidency on season eleven, episode seventeen. Uh, on an episode called Bart to the Future. Uh, the second time the Simpsons took a peek into the future, Lisa has become president of the U.S. In a cabinet meeting, she offhandedly mentions, we inherited quite the budget crunch from President Trump. Like, that's her quote. It initially, yes, it initially was a reference to Trump attempting a run as a Reform Party candidate. So that right there is the first thing. Uh, the week, they even this even says the week after the election, the recurring chalkboard gag even read "Being right sucks." <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny that he's running on reform because his whole point was to completely change how politics is done now. Yeah, like that's yeah, basically think, how he ran. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think he's he's always kind of changed what political party has been. It in all depends times, on on what's popular at the time. Yeah, what's, what'll get him? What's in the office. basically what's going to pay him? Yeah, yeah. Which one of the one uh, little crazy fact I found out, and, and not to get political, but I found out that you know, like every time he goes to his little Marlago place that he owns, he makes money yeah. because all the Secret Service, the government has to pay for their rooms, so the government pays him to go stay at his place. Is that, does that sound wild or what? Well, if you've went bankrupt, I mean, you got to know how to make money. <laughs> you know, you got to know what you're doing to make that money back. I'll tell you what, though, I I'm paying more attention. I'm paying attention to the Simpsons more moving forward. <laughs> so let's move on to uh, a sporting event, perhaps the sporting event, especially here in America. Uh, they correctly predicted Super Bowls on season three, episode fourteen, in an episode called Lisa the Greek. Oh, By the yeah. way, the the early the early Simpsons, the first. I dare say seven or eight seasons of Simpsons is is amazing. Oh, I would agree one hundred percent. Aaron still loves it to this day. I tell her it's lost a little bit of luster, but yeah, it's amazing those first like eight to nine seasons. It's still it can still some of the new ones are still funny. Oh yeah, but there's just something about those early ones that I I just think it's hard to recapture what it was. Yeah, uh, I just like uh, on FXX they re, they replay yeah, a lot of yeah, them yeah, and I'll I catch them. Like I caught the one ye- uh, yesterday where. Homer becomes uh, Krusty the Clown. <laughs> That's right. And, it, and it's so dang funny because it gets That's mixed up with one, the mob. Dude. Yep. Yeah, he gets mixed up with the mob and everything. Man, it's so stupid funny. That is good. Right, so they predicted the uh, Super Bowl in the initial airing of the football-centric episode. It came only a few days before uh, Super Bowl XXVI, uh, where Lisa correctly <laughs> predicted the Washington Redskins would win. Oh. Uh, well, I mean, they the, had a 50-50 chance there, right? Right. The next year, the staff decided to dub in the names of that year's competing teams, and they were once again correct with their call what? of the Cowboys as victors. Again. 
The redubbings continued, however, <laughs> with moderate success over the next few years. So they've done it quite a few times, and they got it right. I mean, you're right. It is a 50-50 chance. It's funny, though. But, it's but a, you know how there's that octopus that predicts like games, or there's that whatever animal it is that predicts the winner of these big games? I want uh, it to be an octopus. I think there is. It's an octopus for, I don't know if it's, I think it's like maybe the Stanley Cup or something. But, uh, dude, maybe we start watching The Simpsons and then just put a bunch of money in Vegas. Yeah, maybe so, because apparently. Because here's another prediction they made. Uh, they also predicted that Disney would buy 20th Century Fox. Oh, my God. In season 10, which is well before when this happened. Yeah. Episode 5, titled, When You Dish Upon a Star. Uh, there's actually, this even shows the screenshot of the episode. In which it, it shows the Fox logo. You know that famous 20th yeah. Century Fox logo? Yeah. And underneath it, it says, A Division of Walt Disney Company. That is crazy. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty funny because, also, that's it takes kind of balls, too, yeah. to joke about that. Because you know who owns The Simpsons at that time? Oh, who, who owned it? Uh, 20th Century Fox. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's actually pretty funny, dude. I wonder yeah. if that's always been a thing, though, maybe. It was always whispers here and there that once in a while at these high-powered, you know, cocktail parties, the, the the head of Disney and the head of 20th Century Fox would just flirt around with the idea of what it would be. So those whispers were always around for a few decades, you know what I mean? Yeah, and Disney has always kind of been in the the area of buying things. Yeah. They've been doing that for a while, so that's probably where the joke was kind of coming from. Like Disney's always buying stuff anyway, so well, let's make the joke of they would buy this. They would buy this whole entire TV company. Yeah, crazy. Uh, well, in season six, in an episode titled Lisa's Wedding, they predicted smartwatches. Ooh. Yep. Apparently, uh, uh, this was the, this during the show's first attempt to go into the future when we'd see the kids growing up. That's right. Uh, with with several tech jokes in tow that ended up coming to fruition. For example, a botched wedding proposal from Lisa's boyfriend, Hugh, prompts him to call an audible by talking onto his watch. And, of course, next came out the, you know, the smartwatches. Yeah. Also in Season 6, on Episode 8, Lisa on Ice, they predicted the autocorrect. That blows my mind, so I don't know if I love them or hate them for that. Because the autocorrect has not only saved me, it's definitely gotten me in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, On season 25, episode 16, in an episode titled, You Don't Have to Live Like a Referee, they predicted the FIFA, is it FIFA or FIFA? How do people say it? FIFA's corruption scandal and World Cup results. Really? That's pretty well. Yeah, because that that scandal is a that's all by itself. By the way, we'll do it. They did, we'll do it. They did. They did so much into that. I'd be into it because there's a lot of different like odd stories from the the, the history of soccer. So I'm down. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, on season five, episode ten, entitled Springfield, and that's Springfield with an S. That's a money sign. They also Uh-oh. predicted the Siegfried and Roy Tiger attack. Oh no, that's so <laughs> yes. horrible, dude. I feel like but every they got year, it right. I feel like every year the opening gag should say it sucks being right. Yeah. Uh, apparently uh Roy Horn who's the you know the Roy in that group was attacked 10 years after the episode aired. Yeah. Oh, it was uh, I remember hearing about that and just thinking, "Oh my god, that's so horrible." Because when we grew up, dude, when we were younger, 
uh, they were kind of a celebrity status type of thing. Everybody knew who Siegfried and Roy were and, and that they had this, oh, yeah. this Tiger show in Las Vegas that was just supposed to be phenomenal. Yeah, it was just like a, it was so big. It was like a pop culture reference that yeah. people would make. Yeah, yeah. And so when yeah. that happened, dude, wow, everybody was like, holy crap, that's the worst way to go. You know what I mean? Like the animals yeah. you love so much, you know, oh, my God. Yeah, but it kind of made sense. I mean, they were always oh, yeah. with those animals. I mean, it was going to happen. Uh, you, yeah. uh, they also, uh, on se- in season 23, episode 22, Lisa goes Gaga. Uh, <laughs> Lady Gaga's Super Bowl performance was predicted. What? Uh, it's also considered one of the worst episodes of the show. Well, how, <laughs> how did they perform? How did they, what, season six? Gaga wasn't around then. No, season 23. Oh, 23. Okay, okay. Never yeah, mind. episode 22. Uh, uh the pop star visits Springfield and aids Lisa's self-esteem issues. She's always kind of had those during her show. Right. Uh, when Gaga performed at the Super Bowl halftime show in 2017, many noticed her wire-based, sparkling stunt bore an uncanny resemblance to one of her many outfits during the episode. So even her outfit was really close to... Maybe they did uh, that on purpose. I kind of think and so. And I'm wondering if maybe the, the, the bookers for the NFL halftime show watched that episode and were like, hey, why don't we do – why don't we have Lady Gaga's the, the halftime show? Yeah, why don't we do that? Why don't we do that, Phil? Let's do that. All right, I'm going to call Gaga up on the phone. You go uh, order the, the meatball sandwiches. All right. All right, we got it. Uh, Twelve meatball sandwiches, please. And then uh, apparently on season two, so we're going way back, episode nine in an episode titled Itchy and Scratchy and Marge. Uh, covering up Michelangelo's David. In an early episode, Marge attempted to get the hyper-violent cartoon pairing Itchy and Scratchy to be more do- uh, docile, or docile, to be mm-hmm. more uh, nice to each other. Yeah. Because I don't know if you know this or not, they violently kill each other all the time. And that uh, that in itself was a statement on society because of how people always said cartoons were super violent, and they didn't. And, <laughs> and so what the, his point was to make was that it's not the cartoons that are affecting the kids. These kids are still normal, yet they watch these shows where the, it's super violent. Like, we didn't watch cartoons like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, Looney Tunes never had, uh, like, I never saw, uh, you know, yeah. uh, Wally Cody get literally cut in half. No, I don't never, think I saw any blood or bone or gore right. on Looney Tunes, yeah. Um, yeah. which is one of the things I love. Aside from the fact that they can predict the future, the Simpsons were always spot on with their commentary. You know what I mean? Oh, oh for sure. Oh, for sure. Uh, uh, Marge realized how censorship could both cut uh, could cut both ways. When the town tried to protest the nudity of Michelangelo's David, yeah, which made a stop on its coast-to-coast tour, uh, but the state of David also became a hot-button issue in 2016 when Russians voted on whether or not to cover the statue with clothes. <laughs> so I think everybody kind of knows David struts his stuff. The statue with the Russians, uh, like when they say clothes, are they going to put like a Russian robe on him? <laughs> In a Russian hat, I hope so. That would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, I always remember thinking that, like, how far, when people want to censor things, you got to realize that uh, there's always going to be somebody who wants to take that censorship farther. Yeah. So, like, you got to decide where you want it to go. Always. Uh, also, on season 20 and a True House of Horror episode, those oh, are always amazing. Those are my favorite of them all. Yeah, they're so fun. Uh, they predicted the faulty voter machines. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, apparently in the cold open of the 19th installment of Tree House of Horror, uh, Homer goes into a booth to attempt to vote for Barack Obama only for the machines to count it for John McCain. 
It took a full election cycle for this one to occur, as a 2012 viral video depicted a voting booth in Pennsylvania doing the same thing, except for it was Obama and Mitt Romney. <laughs> wow. That's, that's so wild, isn't That it? is crazy, dude. Um, they also predicted, this was pretty wild, and this is kind of a, uh, works for this show, especially on season nine, episode three, Lisa Sachs, S-A-X, please. Uh, there's an episode called the, uh, they predicted the Ebola outbreak. Oh, really? In an episode set Specifically in Ebola? Yes. Oh, what wow. Says. Marge attempted to cheer up a, cheer up a sad Bart with a reading of Curious George and the Ebola virus. <laughs> that was the name of the book she was reading. Man, I remember Curious George books. Oh, I yeah, those are great. Yeah. Though the disease had existed before the episode, obviously, Ebola had its largest outbreak on record in 2014 and 2015. <laughs> That's crazy, dude. And this was pretty wild. Uh, on the season 22, episode one, elementary school musical, they predicted that, I'm going to try to pronounce this name right. They predicted that Brent R. Holstrom wins the no- Nobel Prize in economics. Oh. That's a deep... That's a deep prediction there. Yeah, like, I guess that happened. Uh, apparently, uh, The Simpsons is known for creating what are known as freeze-frame gags. They do this all the time. They're one of those shows where you kind of got to watch the whole screen the whole time because they'll throw in little jokes kind yep. of around. Uh, there were visual references, references that would go unnoticed without a pause button at the ready. In the season 22 premiere, Lisa and a group of friends had lo- have logged a predictions sheet for the Nobel Prize announcements. The Millhouse would lose out on his prediction that Holstrom would win in economics. Everything would be coming up Millhouse in 2016 <laughs> when Holstrom ended up earning the honor. That's amazing, dude. Yeah. This is by far, I'm going to end it with this. This is by far my favorite one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> season 13, episode 22. The episode's called Papa's Got a Brand New Badge. <laughs> the thing that they predicted was the selling of ferrets as toy poodles. Uh, (laughs) One of many schemes from Fat Tony, of course, he's the mob character on the show, the authority on crime in Springfield involves gluing cotton balls to ferrets to pass them off as toy poodles. And yet another instance of criminals taking their plans from television, an Argentinian man received a shock when he bought what he thought was a toy poodle only to find out that it was, in fact, a groomed ferret. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Could you imagine the shock? No, dude, that's amazing. <laughs> and ferrets are mean creatures, by the way. They're uh, really I've never mean. been a fan of ferrets. I mean, I like animals overall, but, like, not a fan oh, of Oh, yeah, I love animals. I love animals, and, and I think ferrets are, ferrets are fascinating, but, man. All right, so a little story time here. I'll make it quick so you can go with oh, yours. Oh, yeah, but. you're good. The reason I always have an issue with ferrets is uh, growing up, Trevor, of course, my best friend to this day, I do Retro Bliss with them, uh, cheap plug. Uh, when we were kids, obviously, we'd go spend a night at each other's houses. He had a he had a ferret, and this ferret would get out of its cage, and multiple times I would be woken up because it was biting my toes. And those things have some of the sharpest teeth that I've ever been bitten by. <laughs> And it happened. He would get out all the time. One time, because uh, I I would sleep in Trevor's floor, and hit the cage was in the floor. Yeah. And so my feet were kind of at the cage a little bit. Oh no. 
uh, one time I was asleep and I had socks on and I woke up. I didn't have socks on. <laughs> he ripped the socks right off your feet. He took my socks and they were in his cage. <laughs> so he was a jerk. <laughs> That's pretty funny, dude. That's amazing. All right, now you said that we had a theme going on, Chris. We do, dude. So to, when you said that, I wanted to look into a, uh, another medium. I didn't want to go with cartoons or TV shows. Uh, but I knew for sure that there had been times in comic book history where these things had happened, where there was these weird, eerie you know, uh, predictions of specific world events. Uh, the one that I know the most of, and it's because I actually own the issue, Uncanny X-Men number 189, um, has a flashback on in this episode in this this comic in the first couple pages uh there's a scene with rachel uh the daughter of cyclops and jean gray um and they're talking about was it jean gray maybe i'm wrong i don't think it was jean gray for some reason anyway uh maybe it is rachel uh has this flashback where she has this vision of the new york city skyline after uh there had been some sort of attack and it literally says in the in the in the the dialogue box it says the twin towers of the world trade center lie in ruins thousands are dead many more injured and then the next thing says rachel's a telepath basically saying she can see that this is coming um so i had known that i had known that these kinds of things had existed by the way do you know who drew that book and who wrote it who written by Cl- chris claremont huge name in comics and yes. john Byrne. Yeah. Yeah. John Byrne. I want you to remember John Byrne, all right? I remember. So I wanted to look into this, and I found a couple of articles that had all different kinds of instances. But the one I chose uh, mostly had had a couple ones that I'd never heard of before, then had this uh, a few that are very weird and eerily tied. Um, so I wanted to I wanted to bring this one up. Also, And also now uh, you were telling me before we started recording, you have just come into to, um, – the possession of some comic books or, or books that collect old school comic strips and comic books. Yeah, I now have uh, because someone had passed away, and so it's a sad reason why I have him. But yeah. the, the these things are amazing. I have Superman and I have Batman and I have the the Peanuts now. So now the Superman, but, what's the what's the year? Like what's that? What's the era? Uh, it's in the other room. I can't remember. Oh. But they're all early. Like, they're all early. I'm. 30s and 40s 40s okay those years yeah so the batman one is the one i've been looking at first and it's from the early 40s 43 to 46 i believe yeah and uh it's just really fascinating because it's almost like a time capsule from that time oh for sure dude yeah because you can see kind of like how the writing was in comic books back then yeah uh, how it's so much different now. Even even things uh, like how people dress, the cars they drove, the way things yeah. like uh, you know daily appliances looked. Yeah, and what we would consider uh, quote unquote dark today. Yeah, uh, and or what was considered quote unquote dark back then. Yeah, uh, you know because everything in the book that I've seen so far is today is G rated, <laughs> but I bet back then some of that was like, Oh my gosh, this is dark. <laughs> I can't believe they're saying this. I know. Right. I was telling yeah. you before we recorded that my first experiences with Batman in comics was a reprint of his old school, the original story, the original origin of Batman. Uh, and I think it was like the fourth or fifth grade. One of my teachers had it in their classroom. Um, but yeah, dudes, the fact I, I got to look those books up and see if I can get those on Amazon because those, I mean, when you sent the picture, I was like, oh, I got to have this. I have yeah. to have this. My first, the, the first superhero experience that I ever had 
was uh, I always loved the funnies. Like I love, yeah. I always love those comic strips. I always have Garfield, Farside, yeah, uh, Calvin and Hobbes. You know all these classics that I absolutely love. Remember Prince Valiant? Yes. Yep. <laughs> it was that that like uh, medieval cartoon. Yeah. Or, or yeah. comic strip. Yeah, but the paper that we would like that my parents would get, and the paper that my grandparents would get would have different comic strips in them because they're from different towns. So when I went to my grandparents' house, uh, there was a Superman comic strip in it. Ooh. And my little mind was blown away because I hadn't seen that before. Wow. That had to be exciting, one, dude, getting getting to see the was. different comic strips from different towns. It was, and then I soon discovered Batman after that, and then Ninja Turtles, and my mind was like, yeah, this is who I am now. <laughs> <laughs> this defines so. me. Yes. So speaking of so, Superman, uh, yeah. dude... Uh, I'm hoping that you have one of these stories in that book. This comes from 1949. Uh, A 1949 issue of Action Comics shows Lex Luthor creating an outlandish new device to instigate chaos in the city of Metropolis, Uh, which is basically the plot of all of them, right? Yeah. Here's the thing. There's a panel in here where he's, he's talking to Superman saying... Nothing can survive the blast of this atomic bomb. So while this okay, comic, gonna... what's what's up? Uh, I, go ahead and finish, but okay. I'm going to blow your mind that I might know something about this. All right. So while the comic was being written, scientists were secretly working on the first a bomb to maintain the secrecy of the project. The Defense Department, the government, ordered DC Comics to pull the story. Because, yeah, that's what I was going to tell you. Yeah, the Pentagon, yeah. the Pentagon feared that the Japanese might see the comic strip and could be like, "Holy shit, this is for real. We can build one of these kinds of things." Uh, and that's not the only time that the government's asked no. them to print stuff. Here it comes. That's you're right. You're right on it. So you know this story. So not only did that happen, not even kidding. A few months later, they did it again. Except this time, it was for the Superman newspaper strip. Uh, apparently it showed a skeptical physics professor blasting Superman with a cyclotron, uh, which is basically a particle accelerator, um, to see if he's invulnerable. You know what I mean? And, uh, that was in 19 April of 1945, four months before Hiroshima and Nagasaki, when the Manhattan project had reached such a critical stage that anything related to atomic energy was being censored by the government. But because of the daily nature of the comic strip, by the time the Secret Service contacted D- DC Comics, the first few chapters had already been sent to several newspapers across the country. Could you imagine if you had your hands on one of those newspapers? Man. Right? Because, it's, it's, like, what does the uh, the original action comics with Superman in it go for? It's like this ridiculous <sighs> number. And they'll have ones that were, were supposedly pulled by the government. That's got to be yeah. right up there. Uh, here's the funny thing. So they, they do end up pulling the, the, the rest of this story. So you're this kid. You're reading a story in which he's being bombarded by all this atomic energy. And this guy's trying to kill him. And, and can you stand up to this kind of stuff, Superman? The next week that paper comes out, that's not the next next chapter in the story. Nope, they decide they're going to start yeah, just, a new story yeah. where Batman, uh, or I'm sorry, Superman plays baseball with himself. <laughs> it literally shows that he can play. He's so good that he can throw the ball, be over there to bat it, go out to catch. Oh, I thought it. you were using. I thought you were using a euphemism. No, <laughs> no, it's literally a strip that shows him pitch the ball, hit it, you know, go out and field it, throw it, and throw himself yeah. out at home plate. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that crazy, dude? 
Yeah. Chris, I don't want to rush you, but I do have a plan to play baseball with myself here in a little bit. <laughs> All right, well, I'll try to get through this for you. We'll go, we're going to do a couple more Superman stories here for you. Uh, so apparently also in 1976, DC published a special comic that imagined what would happen if Superman arrived on Earth in, the, in that year and grew up to become an adult in the distant future of 2001. Um, this is 76, right? So you're talking about st- the Cold War. We're, we are in this Cold War with Russia, U.S. The USSR is very tense. Vietnam had just ended the year before. Uh, there was a Soviet war in Afghanistan that's about to, to hit a boiling point. They're about to go to war with each other. Um, and in this story, it shows, you know, the way that we're battling to take the, to, to get a hold of Superman. And if you think about it, a lot of the stories that, that included, you know, speculative ends to the cold war, like the watchmen, uh, a lot of times it was nuclear attack, right? Nobody ever really wrote stories where the USSR and the United States actually solved their problems without war. Well, apparently this, this, this comic book did, um, it showed that Superman was able to help them, you know, basically end this war on a on a diplomatic level. Uh, so they basically predicted the end of the Cold War ending diplomatically, uh, which is really what did happen. Um, wow. uh, yeah, another crazy one is on September twelfth, two thousand one. So you know that September eleventh. Uh, was mm-hmm. the the attacks in on on the twin towers? Well, the day after, there was the issue of Superman uh, came out, the Adventures of Superman, and in it, it depicts um, Lex Luthor's LexCorp building having been, uh, you know, the remains of it uh, after an attack. So, but the the crazy thing is now, if you if you know anything about comics and LexCorp, uh, the building is shaped like an L. Right. Yeah. But the shot that this artist decided to take was from the ground looking up at the building and from the angle where he's basically looking at within the crease of that L. So it looks like it looks like it's two towers. And when you look at it from this angle with helicopters going around and smoke pouring out from the middle of these two buildings, it literally looks like the Twin Towers had been uh what the twin towers look like after the first plane hit it. Yeah. That wow. So here's the other creepier part, because the idea behind this storyline was there was an alien invasion. So part of the invasion was the attack on, on metropolis. And this was one of the images, but there are other panels which show uh, the aftermath of the alien invasion. So they, they cut to Australia and you see the opera house. It's, it's under construction. You know, they've got these uh, big cranes out there. There's there's some uh, missing pieces on those roofs because they had been destroyed. It shows Washington, D.C. It shows the White House with a bunch of holes in, this, in the ceiling and a bunch of cranes they're working on on, uh, on fixing this. And then it also shows a shot of uh, um, what's his name? Uh, the Martian dude. What's his name? No, I can't think. Martian Manhunter? Martian Manhunter. He's kind of like at the at the the um the 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 hub, the center where he's monitoring all these things and you see a shot of France and the Eiffel Tower is is got some construction working on it and below that on a monitor shows the literal twin towers, dude. And the twin towers both have chunks missing from either side of it which really look like the two spots that the plane hit. The planes hit. What's even more creepy is this came out the day after yes. that tragedy happened, so, so it had this been, was drawn well ahead of time. Yes, exactly. 
Yeah. It is, wow. That is a very creepy thing. Um, so there you go. There's actually two versions of the Twin Towers predictions. So uh, those are very creepy. I want to go into some more creepiness here. And, and I'm going to show you this little eerie tie. You ready? Yes. In 1986, uh, there was a little miniseries that came out called The Man of Steel. I actually have the, uh, the first few issues of this on ba- as back issues. Um, and it was basically they were updating the mythos uh, of Superman for the 80s generation. Um, in the first issue, Superman was supposed to, to make a public debut by saving a NASA space shuttle from crashing in the middle of Metropolis. Uh, it was supposed to be NASA... Be, uh, or they, it was it's supposed to be a NASA space shuttle on January 28, uh, 28th, 1986. Um, That's a good day. Same year. The space shuttle Challenger malfunctioned and fell apart shortly after launching, killing everyone and its crew. Uh, I don't know if I talked about this before on this show, but I have a tie to that. Did um, When I was a kid, I was like in the first grade. I remember 86 was maybe first, second grade. I remember being in elementary school and our class went outside to the playground to look, I went to school in, in Florida um, to look east, you know, look out to the east horizon because if we looked out east, at some point we would start seeing the trail of the, the shuttle going up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And sure enough, we did. We saw it going up. And then when when that it falls apart and explodes and splits into that, you know, now it's a very iconic scene where you see the, the thrusters that go splitting off in a Y shape. Yeah. When we saw that as kids, we didn't know what we saw. We thought that was supposed to happen, and so we all started cheering. And we filed back in line to go back into the classroom, and we went back into the classroom. And do you remember those old media stands with the TVs on them? Yes. There was one in the room playing the news, you know what I mean? And the teacher, the, the other teacher, the teacher's assistant, who was sitting behind waiting for us to come back in, she was crying. And then we all saw on the news where they were saying something had gone wrong and they kept showing the replay and then they turned the TV off. And then I remember even later that night going home and them talking about it on the news. And I remember kind of like seeing it thinking, oh, my God, like that's what I saw. That's what I saw. I saw people explode. Isn't that crazy? That That is wild. That's a that's a giant tragedy, too, that yeah, happened. It really was. That, I mean, school. I mean, I remember it just because it was my birthday. Mm-hmm. That's just selfish of me. But. Uh, also like the reason that was a, a big deal to the, so the younger people probably don't know this, but literally they put a school teacher on board. Yeah. Like a, she was just a normal school teacher. Yep. And the reason that it was even bigger, she is was a non-astronaut. Yeah. Schools all across America were going to watch this. Yep. And she was even planning on giving lessons in space. That's why we all went outside to try to watch it live. That is the big deal why it was broadcast to every school. All these elementary schools had this showing because a teacher was going into space for the first time. She wasn't an astronaut. She went through the training for it, but she wasn't an astronaut, wasn't a pilot, didn't have anything but the fact that she was a science, I think a science teacher. Um. So the person, I believe so. yeah, and yeah. so you want to hear what's even crazier is in this story where this shuttle was being, uh, was was you know in danger of crashing. On board was Lois Lane. She on board this shuttle. She was the only non astronaut on board. A regular journalist covering the story of an amazing experimental space shuttle. Um, so that makes it even crazier. You know what I mean? Like this one woman that's not an astronaut that went on yeah. uh, into this thing. Uh, and I say that it was supposed to be a shuttle because now if you get that comic, you'll see that it's not a shuttle. It's a, a space age, like futuristic jet. And it's because in the middle of he was still in the middle of drawing this when the tragedy happened that John Byrne decided he was going to change it. 
He, wow. he had had the, the pencils. Everything was already done with all the shuttle, the shuttle in place. It had gotten the approval of the editors and it was getting ready to go to ink and color. And he decided to change it because of that. And John Byrne, the same guy who drew the X-Men comic where Rachel uh, foresaw the destruction of the Twin Towers. That, that's that's crazy. That's wild. Uh, I just got a couple more for you here. 1977, uh, there's a – do you remember the Marvel team-ups? Oh, yes. So this was a comic book which uh, didn't follow one superhero. It would take uh, a main superhero and another one and team them up together. A lot of times it was Spider-Man. Sometimes it was Fantastic Four characters like The Thing. Uh, but a lot of times it was always teamed up with someone else. So a 1977 issue of Marvel Team-Up features Spider-Man and the Wasp. Uh and during this 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 thing, they're battling the Equinox, and he's a villain. Uh, he's a villain that's capable of shooting fire from his arms. And as the villain rampages through New York, starting random fires and roughing up police officers, one of his stray blasts hits a building, short circuiting the power transformer inside and causing a massive citywide blackout. The entire city of New York, Manhattan, is just completely blacks out. No power. Uh, that wouldn't be a big deal, except in the same week that that issue came out, July 1977, is the famous 1977 New York blackout. There hadn't been a blackout in New York City since 1965, and there wouldn't be another one until 2003. So this was a huge coincidence, but if you look at it, it's 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 strange, right? Like, how, oh, yeah. how could that, like, the, the fact that in the comic there's a huge citywide blackout a couple days after the comic release, it literally happens. Um, and here's the other thing, too. 1965 and 2003 blackouts, they were blackouts. It wasn't that big of a deal. The 1977 blackout also mirrors the carnage of this comic book because it was one that resulted in citywide looting, arson, and more than 500 injured police officers. Wow. Yeah. It's insane. And in the comic book, it shows that the, you know, the, the, the streets are, are full of flames and police officers are fighting for their lives. Oh, I wanted to throw this in also. That was drawn by John Byrne. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> just so you know, just so you know. Man, I, I I hate to tell an artist to quit drawing, but but uh it might be what we need to do for our own safety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Uh all right, here's my last one. This is a little bit of a sadder one too. So uh, in 1997, uh, the issue of Wonder Woman 126 came out. And if you look at the cover, it's a it's a cover of the Daily Planet, which is a, a newspaper from the DC universe. Uh, on it, the big headline is "A World Without Wonder Woman," uh, and underneath it, the subtitle is "Diana, Princess of Themyscira, Struck Down." So basically, what you're seeing on the cover of this is the death of Princess Diana. Oh wow! Yes. Uh, wow. It actually, it actually can the the comic book um, actually includes the phrase inside. Actually, the next issue includes the phrase uh, "Princess Diana is dead." Um, yeah, it's crazy. So you know about Princess Diana in regards to Princess Diana, but you want to know what's crazy is three days after that comic was on the stands was when Princess Diana of Wales was killed in the car accident. That wow, yeah. Who drew that one? Please don't tell me it's the same guy. <laughs> I want you to well, if you, I want you to do me a favor. You can easily Google the cover uh, of Wonder Woman. Uh, what was it? One twenty six. 
120 yeah 126 and it's it's the headline right and the headline reads diana princess of themiscara struck down exclusive to the planet says this the beginning of the article story and pictures by john byrne <laughs> you're kidding me i'm not playing yeah it does say that yep john byrne uh, that wasn't his only thing. There's a there's an issue of X Men that he did back in the day where there was a huge earthquake in Japan, and literally like a day later, there was a huge earthquake in Japan. Man, is he like our Notre Nostradamus? It feels now? like it, right? Now you're gonna want to yeah. go back and like literally inspect every John Byrne issue he's ever done. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, so there. Pre- prepare ourselves cord- accordingly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go, dude. It's it really is eerie, and it's very odd how like. You know, creators, all kinds of imaginative creators, writers, musicians, artists, for some reason, there's this magic place that they can tap into. And they'll all talk about this. They'll talk about like a lot of times when they're doing their work, they'll lose themselves. You know what I mean? And it's because they're tapping into this this weird magical place, this place where I don't know. You know what I mean? It's almost like there's this level of of um, higher being like you know what i mean almost like you have to have have some sort of esp style uh powers and maybe that's the case maybe that they feed into the line of what our existence is and what's to come and they kind of are able to see slightly ahead i mean it's got to be something right it's creepy dude look at the simpsons look at all these and again this was a small what did i say six of them six different ones like that's just a small you know uh sampling of how many times it's happened in comics and we could do it with music we could do it with movies tv shows i mean we kind of did it with books on earlier episodes like we mentioned before so yeah all these creative things uh, it's kind of weird like i know for um Chris, you're a creative person too, as yeah, well. Yeah, so, for sure. Like maybe I know there's been times for me where, like, when I'm writing something or yeah, or drawing something where it feels like, you know, I'm kind of getting some like stuff's just popping in my head. Yeah, I don't know why I'm thinking of these things like for this, but they'll just pop there. They'll just pop in there. Yeah. So you ever feel you know, like some it's, sort of it's, weird? It's like you're not the one in control. You're just documenting what you what you're like kind of experiencing. In a way, yeah. Yeah, that's I've done that. I've written short stories where I have an idea, this is the story I want, and so it kicks off and it starts and I have these characters, but then there's this weird transition where all of a sudden it almost takes on a life of its own and it doesn't go where it wants. And sometimes as the writer, I'm following that storyline, so I'm just writing down what I see happening and I don't even like it. Like I was telling uh, a friend of mine, there's a story I wrote about a vampire hunter and there's a scene in it that includes a, a pregnant woman and vampires and when I got to this point as I'm writing it, I literally almost made myself sick because I couldn't believe that this was happening. And it makes you – it sounds weird, right? Like you should have this planned out and obviously it. But no, I literally wrote it as it was happening. Yeah. Uh, that's <laughs> – if you read any article I ever write for anything, I that's, that's kind of how I write. I just write as, as it's popping in my head. <laughs> That's Which awesome. is either good or bad, depending on what you think of it. <laughs> no editing. Hit send. I'll edit afterwards, but uh, whatever spewed forth on the page, I didn't plan at all. It all just yeah. kind of, I had an idea, and then yeah. the idea kind of sprawls forth. That's what there. I'm saying. It's almost like you're kind of guided. You're just documenting what's coming along. Yeah. It's interesting, man. It's a weird thing. This, this uh, Definitely go back and check out some more episodes of Simpsons and uh, see if you can't dig out some more John Byrne issues. Oh, yeah, for sure. And also go back and check out some episodes of History Creeps. Obviously. Uh, I, can, 
I can't think of a better way to spend your day. I got to tell you this, though. For people who do follow us on podcast apps, um, uh, if, if you've not noticed, if you look back at our earlier episodes, I think it ends at like episode 16. And the reason for that is that uh, iTunes only allows up to 100 episodes uh, of your podcast on their right. on their show on their server whatever you want to call it their display. So after you pass that number, then the episodes that came before will will disappear. Right. So if you want to hear earlier episodes that you do not see on your podcast app, head over to bicbp-radio.com. All of our episodes are available there, and you can download them uh, to listen to on your device at your leisure. I like it. I like it. It's a good idea. <laughs> If you haven't done that, then I don't know. I don't know how to help you. Other than that, I am about to go play baseball with myself. I am checking out of the clubhouse. Peace. I'm going to play baseball with myself as well at a different location because that'd be weird. <laughs> <laughs> so I invite all of you who are listening to not only hey go play baseball with yourselves, <laughs> but to uh, stay stay on. <laughs> Home run! <laughs> <laughs>